0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host as usual, Joe Quinn. Hi there. This week on our show, we're going to carry on our conversation we had last week. You remember the development with Trump announcing the U.S. was pulling out of the Iran deal. Um, This is basically still in the news. It's still worth talking about. Um, It's kind of a mundane topic on the surface, but it does point to a lot of deeper potential changes coming up from the deeps, so to speak. Um, it's not clear how it's going to go. and We've pretty much given an outline of what we think about it. Um, I have to say, like, day to day, I get one impression and then another, and I can see mm-hmm. it one way and now another way. It is quite in flux. It, we do think it's profound, though. I mean, it's potentially the splitting of or the parting of the ways of the Grand Alliance, the Atlantic Alliance between Europe and the quote-unquote leader of the new free world, the United States of America. Um, this obviously involves Israel and Iran and the Middle East situation, but in a way, it, that's kind of like the linchpin or trigger for the deeper issues
1: mm-hmm.
0: involving world trade, um, power, hegemony, and it particularly concerns the U.S., of course, because they've been in that position for a long time. They would quite like to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. But then who is they? Along comes Trump and this comes to the fore. Was this not an issue before or is this Trump's doing? It's been um, it's been strange because Trump is obviously upsetting the status quo left, right and center. Um, he's upsetting old allies. Uh, he's appeasing other allies, though, in some fronts. Um, one thing is clear about the man, though, that after like three years now of him being called first, sexist, misogynist, racist. Secondly, for two years, a Russian agent. And for one year, actually investigated by U.S. Congress as being said Russian agent. There's clearly a a range of forces, powerful forces, that still identify him as a major problem. Mm -hmm. But then I juxtapose it with things like the Iran deal. America first, baby. Everyone else, you uh, either follow what we're doing, or or what he's threatening to punish erstwhile allies for not getting behind this situation. Um, I suppose the first thing I want to maybe talk about uh, is there were a lot of strong words last week from the Europeans in response to Trump's announcement. there's been more of the same this week. Um, but I'm not'm I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic now that they will actually live up to some of the the, the great rhetoric that's <laughs> been coming out of Brussels and other yeah. places in Europe um, just looking at the how serious the US sounds about its sanctions and sanctioning anyone doing business with Iran mm-hmm. um what is it they have 6 months to pull out of any deals thus far made or any potential deals
1: great yeah august and then november august is the first kind of period and then for more in depth on just you know, an extra period basically until uh, November. So it's basically six months. Yeah. Three months and then six months. <clears throat> and
0: a lot of firms have already sunk money into
1: actually yeah.
0: developing things. Like, for example, this right. week, Total, France's largest energy supplier, um, which is the one that's involved in the, the deal in the gas field, the Pars gas field in the Persian Gulf. Mm. I mean, it's, it's like the mother load of, of natural gas on the planet. Um total have said they would they will pull out of yeah.
1: that deal. If they don't get a waiver, yeah.
0: If they don't get specifically a waiver. Um for their companies work on this gas field. Now the US who who is it? Is it the Trump administration? You found something that says that specifically there will be no waivers.
1: More or less. Um there was a memo circulated not long after uh after Trump made the announcement, a memo circulated in the—I don't know—in in the Trump administration, basically in the White House. Um, John Bolton, probably, obviously behind it. If you look at the text of it, basically, um, it's pretty pretty belligerent uh, The memo—it's—it's—it's uh, got—it's got seven points, I think, or six points, as a way to uh, to. To, to force to ensure that uh, it was, dra- was supposedly drafted by a senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of, De- Defense of Democracies, Richard Goldberg, <laughs> uh, and that the basically U.S. policymakers need to send a strong signal to Europe regarding any potential tariff-based response to U.S. sanctions and, and trying to get around sanctions at all. Um, some of the text of it says: make clear to European, you know, partners that any attempt to respond to the reimposition of U.S. sanctions uh, on Iran. Uh, effectively on them, on Europeans, uh, through tariffs. So, like, if Europe decides to respond to this imposition of the U.S. telling European countries, you can't do business with Iran, you have to back out of Iran, you have to cut your own throats, basically, in Iran, because we say so. If the U.S. responds to that by imposing tariffs in direct EU-U.S. trade, uh, that they would uh, that, that would negatively impact uh, ongoing negotiations over steel and aluminum tariffs, that, uh, you know, basically, basically saying that the U.S. would respond and, uh, it would they would start that kind of trade war directly with the EU and the US, and that wouldn't be good for Europe. <clears throat> it's all it's all presented as, as most American kind of uh, White House kind of memos uh, that circulate like this that talk about what, what the US should do in the world. It's it comes from the perspective of we hold the the, the all the cards basically. We have the upper hand here. We can dictate terms. You know. Um, so there are other things that, uh, like for example, the document makes clear that, if, that the US will not make exceptions to its sanctions outside of those prescribed by law. Uh, actually, let me just, that's just the text of the article. Uh, if, if you look at, the, do we have it on screen here? Yeah, let's put it on, on, on the screen here and you can see the actual text of the memo. It's six points, basically. Um, it's called Deterring European Attempts to Evade US Sanctions on Iran. And uh, Make it clear to the Europeans that that bit about the aluminum tariffs, uh, if they respond by, you know, trying to increase tariffs on on, on direct EU-US trade, that that won't go well for Europe. Make it clear to Europeans that the US will not make any exceptions to sanctions outside of those prescribed by law. Uh, i.e., uh, they won't issue any waivers. It says in general, the US law does not allow for non-enforcement non-enforcement of sanctions without the issuance issuance of national security waivers uh, diplomatically we cannot issue waivers for allies in europe without issuing waivers for allies throughout the world and soon there would be nothing left of our sanctions architecture and the pressure on iran will evaporate the credibility of u.s sanctions is on the line so reimpose sanctions and future sanctions must be fully enforced i.e that seems to be saying there's going to be no, no waivers basically because if you give waivers to one you have to give waivers to everybody Mm-hmm. So nobody gets any waivers, therefore every, the full uh, force of the, these really punitive sanctions that the U.S. is claiming is going to impose on, is going to impose on Iran uh, must be adhered to by everybody else, i.e. everybody, all Europeans in particular, but also Chinese, Russians, everybody has to get out of Iran. Basically what it's saying is that America is America's going to sanction the world. The move from sanctioning Russia, sanctioning Iran, sanctioning North Korea, sanctioning Cuba, to now it's like, under Trump, it's we're going to sanction everybody. Whether you like it or not. Okay. Uh, Also, another point was to remind the European governments that U.S. financial sanctions apply to all foreign financial institutions. In quotes, which the U.S. Treasury Department has interpreted to include central banks or foreign state-owned or controlled banks. Not just private banks. There are four countries that consider shifting their payment processing from private institutions, like, say, you know, a private institution like uh, any private bank in Europe, if you try and shift it to your national bank, a European national bank, say, the uh, uh, French Central Bank or the, 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 the Bank of England, whatever, that <laughs> this is the American saying, this will put your financial systems at serious risk because we will sanction, we will. Hit your central bank as well. I mean, this is pure economic warfare. This is full-on econ- This is certainly it's the kind. It's this. <laughs> they're basically threatening Europe in exactly the same way as they're threatening Iran mm. with, with the same sanctions. They're basically saying that uh, at least, I mean, explicitly in this in this memo, and uh, the implication is, of course, companies as well that what they're saying is that if European and everybody else basically around the world, if every other country in the world does not stop uh, doing business with Iran uh, and imposes sanctions on Iran, doesn't buy anything from Iran, doesn't sell anything to Iran at all, anything, apart from maybe medicine, uh, unless every other country in the world stops doing that, stops buying and selling to Iran, then the US will effectively stop buying and selling with the rest of the world you're all gonna suffer as much as Iran so obviously the word hubris comes in there where America thinks it can tell <laughs> a country with five percent the five percent of the world's population uh, can tell um, the rest of the world that all of you are going to get a severe beating if you don't do what I say and that all of the rest of the world, the world will, uh, comply with that uh, is well you could call it hubris but then you have to look at well does America have the ability to do that is that not what empire is about ultimately right the ability to control I mean a global empire supposedly yeah. controls the whole world right and everybody in it and all the governments so yeah
0: well, it, this is this is what's um, a bit scary about it it's that they do still have complete domination in the, the financial system
1: right Eighty-five
0: percent of all global trade is uses use dollars on the on the foreign exchange system. So the U.S. has the means to back up those words
1: in theory. But that that in theory could change. You know, it would take a long time to change, and not without a lot of lot of uh, discomfort to everybody, and some kind of obviously trade wars and economic serious economic issues for everybody. But so that's the, that's the kind of leverage other countries have here, which is like, listen, if we don't agree with you if we stand up uh, to you over Iran and this kind of, you know, these punitive sanctions and threatening us with sanctions, if we don't uh, follow your lead basically and just, you know, bend over, um you know, that would in theory initiate or, or could imply a kind of a, a war, an economic war between Europe or the rest of the world and America. And the Americans aren't so stupid to think that, that wouldn't hurt America as well, obviously. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of leverage that at least Europe in that, in that, in that situation has, in that case, has about uh, to, to, to respond, to stand, uh, stand up and say, no, we're not going to do this. Uh, what are you going to do about it? You know, it's kind of brinkmanship and upmanship. You know, obviously, you know, Trump's accused of enjoying a bit of brinkmanship now and again type thing. And the question here is, because it's Trump and because, you know, because of the way he uh, comports himself and uh, because of the negative press he's got and all this kind of stuff and that he's not... Uh, He's not this ideologue. You know, he's not basically you know, America rules the world in the sense of America takes care of the world. He's not he's not an Atlanticist in that way, he's not driven by ideology, he's driven by economics basically. And um you know, so is the is the moment or the time ripe for European countries and other countries in the world, but particularly Europe since they're traditionally so close with the US, is it is it it ripe for them under Trump to finally go, Well, you know what, screw you. Um, uh we're not going to take we're not going to take it's nonsense. and they have been making noises i mean i'll just pull up another article here um this one's from the atlantic and uh it just has a few quotes in it um about this is um let me see here yeah uh omid new report a german lawmaker with the greens basically said uh that this situation with, with trump uh um, with, with the U.S. and pl- possible trade war and over the Iran deal, it, she said this drives us into the hands of the Chinese and the Russians, which is pretty much what we had figured um, as well. That that's obviously what, where this would go ultimately if you had some kind of a serious falling out between the EU and the U.S. That that would the EU would naturally and that the thing is they're starting. They, they look like they're they're starting to think about that already. You know, uh, Merkel was in Sochi. Uh, already and she's going again apparently um, and there's there's a meeting happening um, this week I think this coming week between uh, the head of the EU, uh, Russia, China and um, uh, I think the Iranians might be there but basically um, they're kind of getting together and trying to discuss what uh, they're going to discuss what they can possibly do about the Iran business trying to keep it going um, so and I mean, there are. We know there have been other uh, other quotes from um, when it was Merkel that we mentioned. When Merkel actually went to the U.S., uh, her her comment was, "It's no, it's no longer such that the United States simply protects us, but Europe must take its destiny into its own hands. That's the task of the future." And I mean, you don't say those kind of things lightly. You know, you don't declare publicly after meeting the U.S. president that. The United States no longer simply protects us. We must take our destiny into our hands. When was the last time you heard a European leader say that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it, it's not negligible, you know. And of course, you had the French finance minister, Bruno Le Marie, uh, told uh, Europe One Radio that he asked a question, a rhetorical question, do we want to be vassals who obey decisions taken by the United States while clinging to the hem of their trousers? Or do we want to say we have our own economic interests? Consider we will continue to do trade with Iran. Um, so uh, those are the kind of comments that people have been made. Is it all just kind of rhetoric, bluff and bluster? It doesn't seem to be that way because uh, they seem to be convinced, Europeans seem to be convinced that Trump is serious. Okay. So this, these comments aren't just throwaway comments because they're saying them in the context of their belief that Trump is deadly serious. And um, of course, there's supposedly there's the option Uh, for europe just to to, to bend over to to fold and and just do whatever america wants right but i think this has this is happening in 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 kind of two contexts one which is that this isn't just isolated to the iran deal the europeans realize that this isn't just isolated to iran um that trump obviously has already been talking about uh quotas for you know basically trade directly between the eu and the u.s he's basically the Iran deal is just one aspect of this. If it was only the Iran deal, Europe would probably fall in, in line if they could be sure that uh, the president or the US was going to maintain its kind of um its its status of you know, feed the world basically, protect the world, be the policeman of the world. But the Europeans have been getting signs from Trump probably from right from before he even became president when they knew what he was like that this guy was going to change things, you know. Um and the relationship was not going to be so cozy anymore. The EU and, and America was not going to be joined at the hip anymore. Basically, Trump was going to, from an economic point of view, was going to cut a lot of their allies and partners <clears throat> loose in the sense of paying for them. You know, he talks about NATO paying all the funds. You know, America pays, all the, uh, pays more than all the rest and combined basically for, for NATO. Um, but also it includes probably stuff in terms of humanitarian aid to other countries around the world, etc. He wants to cut all that off. Um, So it's not just Europe, but the rest of the world that have relied on, have got used to American largesse, let's say, for the past 40, 50, 60 years, uh, are starting to realize that that's not on offer anymore. Uh, So it's in that context that they're really taking it seriously that they have to reconfigure their view on on, on, on the world the way the world works and the way it has worked economically in the in the context of America no longer being there to sort out everybody's problems mm-hmm. um, so that's why I think it's kind of permanent and you know, what serious you know
0: okay but these large companies are saying we're going to pull out unless we get a waiver they're not going to get one so they're going Total, Alliance, Siemens, they've all said we're backing out. So, in the short term, well, the US is going to get 100% of what it wants. Well, you have to. I mean, we have the, to, the fine words about you know a new system, that's like Merkel said, it's for the future, like hmm. years and decades. Hmm. But now it's going to be continued vassalage well, that's for not, the foreseeable future.
1: That's not what they're saying. I mean, obviously, it's not what they're saying. And, and they have to separate companies from governments as well.
0: Exactly. Com- but there is no strong. Because those companies, you see, you can't rely on industry. to. They're just going to go, well, well, uh, what about our profits for next year? Yeah. So, well, yeah, we're getting out. There is no wrong.
1: But it's up to the governments to put something in place to uh, guarantee or to give safeguards, guarantee or or provide safeguards for those companies that that they'll be able to avoid, that they won't be punished uh, or they'll be compensated if they're punished by America.
0: This memo about hitting even central banks, this is from, what, two weeks ago?
1: From a couple of days, a few days after, yeah, after a few days after
0: Trump's announcement. Well, more recent then, um, the head of the European Commission was in Sofia, Bulgaria this week with other heads of state. I think it was a an EU Council meeting, um, and he brought up two things. He said we will use one mechanism we've already tried before. It's called the blockade, blocking statute of 1996, mm. which refers to a similar scenario where. The EU wanted to trade with Cuba but mm-hmm. US sanctions against Cuba wouldn't allow it. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. came up with this proposal to get around US sanctions by effectively sanctioning the US sanctions, basically yeah. saying they Making don't apply to us in yeah. this case. Yeah. That was now they didn't, they didn't ever quite kick in because it resulted in a summit, the right. London summit of nineteen ninety eight and the situation was sorted. But the right. threat and then the counter threat right. did work. The right. brinkmanship ended at that right. level.
1: So, it's, so he,
0: it's interesting that he brings that up.
1: So can that happen this time is the question.
0: Right. Well, we're back to that level. So we'll see where it goes from there. It's
1: kind of brinkmanship and it's who's going who's to who's blink first, basically, you know.
0: Juncker also described that's sort of a negative deterrent against the U.S. total sanctions against uh, mm-hmm. Iran-EU trade. But he also brought up another mechanism he proposed. Basically using the European Investment Bank to guarantee any loans and mm-hmm. to
1: and to invest in Iran, yeah. And
0: to invest directly in
1: Iran. Right, financial aid.
0: The European Investment Bank is, is quiet. Barrow Fakis talked a lot about it because back in 2015, when he was exposing, if you like, the the, the craziness of the Eurozone crisis mm-hmm. and the debt Greece is in, he kept bringing up the European Investment Bank. He said they're sitting on a pile of cash, it could be used, it wasn't, to bail out. People, uh, states like Greece mm-hmm. But now That's been brought up Which is very interesting yeah. But uh, again we'll come back to the memo If that DC memo is serious That won't be a, a safeguard Against not getting hit with U.S. sanctions just because it's the European Investment Bank, no. Washington saying.
1: Well, the, but the, the question is, I mean, it's, again, it's kind of like a game of chicken, you know, how far is Trump willing to push this, you know what I mean? And it's who's going to blink first, you know? And do you think that he would, do the Europeans think that he really would go that far as to launch a full-scale kind of trade war? You know what I mean? If you, if you engage in, I mean, <laughs> look what they're, I mean, you're talking, like I said previously, they're, they're, what this memo talks about and what, what Trump is Planning to do one by reimposing sanctions, he's effectively sanctioning, sanctioning, you know, dozens of other countries, including all European countries, and China and Russia and everybody else, all the partners: you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, Pakistan, India. Everybody, everybody gets sanctioned uh, if they do not pull out of uh, pull out of uh, Iran. Or and it's not even just pull out of Iran. You're not allowed to buy anything from Iran. You're not allowed to sell anything to Iran at all. Anything of any of any significance. Um. So that doesn't go down well. It doesn't feel good for those countries, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I mean, look at the way Iran feels towards America, and to some extent, you know, they they understand that it's American-driven. The sanctions that Iran has been under for so long, um, and, and that Europe just went along, you know. But certainly, a lot of Iranian anger is directed at the U.S. Because of the way the u s has just kind of had, has this power or believes that has the power well has the power and believes it has the right to kind of crucify to to, to squeeze uh, a country very hard indeed I mean you can go back to the sanctions on uh, on Iraq mm-hmm. that led to the death of a million children you know it's not no small thing here you know what I mean it causes serious suffering and if, if it's Trump if trump gets like up, a medieval
0: siege for yeah, modern age yeah, it's
1: like a siege yeah uh and you know it, to some extent it's like starve them out type of thing you know and, and some people do actually starve you know um so uh, yeah i mean people people think it's i mean if he if they get away if they are able to <clears throat> impose the kind of sanctions that they want to uh, uh again um, in fact they'll be more punitive really than before um, you know the, the Iranian economy is going to suffer, and there's going to be a lot of job losses, and pe- people will suffer. Ordinary people will suffer. This is a war against these are sanctions against the Iranian people, ultimately, mm-hmm. right? But with a view to, in theory, you know, very quickly forcing the Iranian government to put the clock back to uh, zero, put it back to the start, and renegotiate another Iran deal. This time, Trump's way. That's that's what he he reckons he, he's able to do. But the problem is, like we we're saying, you have to have all of your allies, i.e. the rest of the world more or less, but in particular Europe and big countries in China, you have to have them on board to squeeze. They have to help you to squeeze Iran in this way to force them to set the clock back to, to zero. Uh, because if they don't get on board, well then uh, Iran won't be squeezed very hard mm-hmm. It won't, won't be encouraged to, to renegotiate anything mm-hmm. or to change its way. Uh, and Iran, sorry, China
0: could just replace a large amount of the European investment, right in Iran, yeah. Uh, then Europe is more peeved off than ever with the right. U.S. Right, yeah. It's it seems extremely extremely risky to be such to be so all in to the point of like disrupting um, the Euro-Atlantic
1: alliance. But, well, there's two two things. Trump reckons that he's not, <coughs> he's nothing to lose. This is his art of the deal, you know. Aim high, you know. Bid high or or uh, you know, aim for more than you want, basically. Uh, you know, so so come in with a strong arm tactic, and the other thing is that he so so, and then you, you get maybe something less than that, but that's that that'll do you. Um, so he's uh, he's all about the brinkmanship, but he's also um, I don't think he's too concerned about souring relationships economically, at least. But obviously, there's the personal relationships as well. But I mean, there's a real politics aspect, real politic as- aspect of this, we're in uh, we're we're not really friends, you know. Trump and Merkel aren't best buddies. Like, there's no, sor- there's no, you know, Does this mean we're not friends anymore. You know, and now we're enemies. I thing we're never really friends, anymore. we're just leaders of different countries, and we have a, a relationship on that level. That's it. You know, there's no love lost in that respect. You know, but you still want to be friendly enough. You know, it's basically not a war. It's not so much that they're not. It's not so much that they're allies or friends. It's just that they're not at war with each other. They're not they're not enemies, but they're not really friends. So Trump has no problem in. And changing up or, or shaking up the whole economic system and the economic relationship between America and the rest of the world and America and Europe because that's what he wants as well so he sees it as a kind of win win you know he gets to maybe get what he wants on, on Iran by strong arming the whole world and at the same time changing the economic dynamic between the US and the rest of the world uh, for in his, from his perspective uh, in a positive direction for America um, so yeah that, that's, that's what's going on but I mean there's so probably there, other there, things that he's not considering which is that that souring of relationships where you do even though you're still technically allies um, if the rest if, if Europe for example really does start to uh, you know not cooperate with America that if, and especially if Europe as this uh, person in, uh, in the article that I just read um, mentioned where it's th- pushing us into pushing us into the arms of of Russia and China I mean, uh, that's—it's not a good idea. I, I, I mean, it's always been our contention that one of the main things that uh, that the U.S. has fought against, has or has uh, been very concerned about. And of course, I think um, I think it was Brzezinski said something along, along these lines years ago uh, that the last thing that America would ever want to see would be uh, Europe uh, allying itself, the European Union, or Europe allying itself. With, with russia you know looking east rather mm-hmm. than west um because that's a serious problem for America basically because you have a kind of a you're you're that far that much closer to uh, eurasian integration
0: does trump not understand that or does he not care about that
1: maybe he sees that, that that's the way the wind is blowing anyway mm-hmm. in a certain sense you know and we have to put this in the context of course of of a changing dynamic in the middle east as well you know but at the same time, his actions seem to be uh, towards undoing those changes that have happened the, over the past few years in the Middle East. We have Russia coming in and emboldening, um, Iran becoming more emboldened and stuff. Um, you know, He wants to, by punishing Iran in this way, he wants to go back to restrain and contain Iran because Iran is effectively kind of like the linchpin or is seen as a, a core aspect of any potential Eurasian integration. And you want you don't want them to be independent, basically, because if it's an independent, strong, independent Iran, they'll basically do business with their neighbours and they'll see themselves as kind of right there in the middle of Eurasia, you know. Um, so you want to have as much control. Uh, you want to have Iran locked down or on on a leash, basically, so that it does what you want it to do. And that, and that to that extent, you can impede or at least shape any future Eurasian integration to uh, as much to your liking as is possible. You can just let them all do what they want, basically. You know I mean, you can't let all of Eurasia from Lisbon, from Western Europe over to China, you can't just let them all, you know, get on together and, and, and you know, ignore America. You know, because mm. like we keep saying, it's 80% of the world's population, it's 80% of the world's resources in that, in that landmass.
0: But that seems to be coming about from what they don't want. Yeah. Uh, how, here's a question. How does squeezing Iran to the point of possibly killing several million of its children if it actually enforces... A literal siege type um, mm. trading blockade. How does squeezing Iran make America great again?
1: Well, well it's—I uh, mean, from a geopolitical perspective, it's about preventing uh, Eurasian integration or controlling Eurasian integration. So we're having there's, there's a there's a coincidence here of of like Trump's—he's not a dummy type thing. He sees the threats. He has a geopolitical head on him, basically, where he mm-hmm. sees that he looks over at that Eurasia and he sees that that's a potential threat to American, to America, basically, as a block type thing. He doesn't want that to happen, so he's willing to kind of like engage with the geopolit- geopolitical aspect of it. But at the same time, as much effort, if not more, is put on, uh, first and foremost, stop America kind of hemorrhaging money. To the whole world type of thing you know and to regret you know to change that dynamic to change that relationship with that with the rest of the world you know so in a certain sense he's trying to do two things here you know Um who knows i don't know i'm not sure the guy actually has a very you know, he works off, off instinct. Maybe uh, he's not. He doesn't have a long. He's not a grand chessboard kind of guy. He's not looking back at history uh, uh, and the way you know uh, great powers have fought with each other. And he's not looking too far ahead necessarily. He's just looking uh, right here and right now. You know, I'm i I'm
0: I'm I'm pretty amazed actually at how much of what he said he was going to do as candidate he is doing. Hmm. Um, he's getting a lot of pushback in most areas. Many things are not actually you know either on the books if they're U.S. domestic legislation or realized in international treaty form yet. But it's, it's had a lot of success. And one of the things is the Iran deal. I found videos from like July 2015. He's just announced. It's his first speech, I think, in Ohio. And he's yammering on about the Iran deal. And this it was always consistently the same. He was consistent. We spent too much money making it happen. I think he was basically implying that they had bribed Mm-hmm. Basically, bought the Iranians into at least beginning the the process of of, of the deal two years prior to 2015. Um, we had only gotten four hostages out of it.
1: Right.
0: Um, we should have got more. We. Um, oh yes, he complained about the, the 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 checking mechanism, whereby if there was some suspicion that Iran had breached the terms of the agreement, the they had 24 days. For to allow international spectres to go wherever they wanted in all these sites, and he was complaining that twenty four days, twenty four days, is, that's ridiculous. That's too long, because uh, in twenty four days they can hide everything. He oh. was on all of this right from the beginning, so he he obviously has something specific in mind. Yeah, to be to be to make that a core of what he was, he was selling himself to the voters on, and then to be, within eighteen months to actually implement it.
1: Right,
0: it's rare, you know, that you get that kind of
1: yeah. Of course, he's been accused of just <clears throat> backing out of the Iran deal simply because Obama signed it. I mean, it's this crass kind of explanation. I mean, that no, tries to oversimpl- no, 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 oversimplify no, no, no. it. He's no greenhorn. <clears throat> he's only no. doing that just because Obama signed it. I'm going to undo whatever Obama did. I don't care how good it is. I'm going to wreck it, you know. Uh, that's, that's what you get in the mainstream media and in like the freaking Washington Post and stuff. You know I mean? I accuse him of that, you know. But, um, no, he's obviously, I mean, he's obviously a smart enough guy and he's <clears throat> but he's he seems to have, when we talking in pre- previous shows about him kind of, capitulating to the swamp type thing or getting kind of overwhelmed by the swamp or, or folding to the deep state etc yeah. and uh undoubtedly there is some influence on him from those people because john bolton is a is a globalist type thing he's an he's american imperialist right so if he has john Bol- bolton talking into his right ear telling him what's going on with national security in terms of geopolitics basically yeah he's going to be uh talking about but like like you were saying it, it was long before John Bolton, and he already was identifying the Iran deal as a very bad deal. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he didn't say it, but I mean, my I think it's possible that um, the reason he thought it was a really bad deal, and it was a bad deal, if you look at it from a purely business perspective, was that America lifted sanctions on Iran, opened, allowed Iran to open itself to the to the world, let's say, but don't allow it to open itself to America and don't allow America to, to have access to Iran, but let Europeans do it on that score alone it's a bad deal for america no it's a stupid ideologically ideologically driven deal where we'll lift sanctions so that european companies and all the countries around the world can do business with iran and vice versa but from an ideological perspective ideological perspective america is not going to do business with iran because iran because it's iran and because of israel and because of whatever i don't know you know some other you know, basically ideological reasons that just make no, no practical sense whatsoever. And when Trump saw it, he's like, what the hell? why, Why?" you know, I mean, I, I would suspect that if you were to say to him, you know, do you think it was a bad, you know, or suggest to him that it was a bad deal because American companies didn't get access to Iranian, uh, Iranian resources, like Iranian, you know, uh, to, to, to doing deals in Iran, he would probably say, yeah, of course, it was, that was a bad idea, you know. They get nothing out of it, and we, and it, it America imposed on itself uh, that those strictures so uh, effectively you could look at it like the original the original Iran deal in 2015 uh, the, the result though it really was that Iran lifted or the US. lifted sanctions for European countries but kept those sanctions for itself so America actually sanctioned itself
0: <laughs> okay. in
1: a certain sense it's also sanctioned Iran because Iran hasn't been able to engage with global markets. To a full extent to the extent that it would like to have because uh, the, of the sanctions that were still in place uh, in the US U.S. Iran sanctions were still in place after the Iran deal uh, so Iran didn't get full access to to the global uh, financial markets let's say m- most of which are, are are dominated or in the US you know are, are controlled by the US but to the same extent the US suffered the US companies suffered uh because they would like to be able to buy stuff from Iran and sell stuff to Iran, but they weren't allowed to, but Europe was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, of course, there's the other thing of, you know, ballistic missiles and what they're doing in Yemen and Syria and terrorism. That's all nonsense. I mean, there's a geopolitical geopolitical reality behind this that no one ever talks about, you know. Um,
0: I wonder... I mean, the if whole if nuke
1: thing is nonsense, you know. The nuke
0: thing is nonsense, but I wonder if Iran well, is nonsense. I mean, any... Any American who's grown up in the last half century, Iran has always been the enemy, at least since 1979. Right. So they would – of course they would not be doing business with Iran so soon after. They unilaterally punished the country. I mean right. that's going to happen. It's going to be a, a long period, several generations or whatever to normalize things. Mm. Especially, I wonder lobby. if Trump was on it from the beginning because Europe would win and it would increase the European-US trade deficit further mm. and he's like, no. We need to bring Europe back down and hopefully lift us back up. I wonder right. if it's always been about the European trade issue well, in substance for Trump as he sees it. Yeah, Because it's, it's hard not to separate these issues. You've got the Europeans coming over just before, obviously on their case, to plead for not to leave. He's doing it anyway. While just before they call me announces these uh, the the sanctions directly against you um, No, they're not sanctions. Of course, we're supposed to call them by their proper name, the trade tariffs. Right, yeah. but it's all trade tariffs. Right, one is just a more acrimonious term because it has. The implication of you know, you did wrong. Yeah. The other one is more like, well, that's just real politics yeah. and business, I mean, whatever. Tra- it's all tariffs, yeah. Trade so, trade tariffs
1: you can put trade tariffs so high that it's more or less like sanctions. You're more or less saying, We're not going to buy anything from you, and you're not, not going to sell anything. to us because really you some, can't because yeah. you put so many tariffs on your goods that nobody's going to buy them. So, you may as well. We're basically saying, You're not allowed to send anything to us. That's so tariffs can be pretty it, much the it, same it, thing it, as it's, sanctions, yeah. yeah
0: it's, it's not even a money raising scheme. What they do is you slap the tariff so high. It out. will stop coming tomorrow, immediately, right. all right. of it, 100%. Mm-hmm. So that was done to Europe prior prior to the Iran issue coming up again recently.
1: Well, they were talked about, tariffs were okay. talked about. And quotas it's all wrapped out. up together. First of all, quotas, then tariffs, then... Um, this... And, also, and now he's talking, I mean, all the talk, and, now, and this memo talking about, you know, uh, if in response to... Uh, the US reimposing sanctions on European companies, stopping them doing uh, deals with Iran. Uh, If, in response to that, European companies start to mess with tariffs on uh, aluminum uh, that the U.S. will mess back with those tariffs on aluminum. Basically, you know, he, he's talking. So it's all it's all talked about in the context of. I mean, there's there's no separation between those tariffs and quotas, etc. The, the discussions that happened before uh, Trump backed out of the Iran deal and the Iran deal itself. It all seems to be of a piece. So I would tend to kind of agree with you on that one. That uh, for Trump, it's been basically. It's th- and that all brings it back to make America great again. First, you know, economic um, Trump's economic kind of mandate of. You know, bring jobs back to America, basically stop hemorrhaging money, you know, cut costs, you know, blah, 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 American workers, etc. That all seems to be what it all comes back to, basically.
0: The East Coast liberals were delighted when Steve Bannon left the White House. But Steve Bannon didn't – in what he was there for, he never left because Trump was on it from the beginning. Steve right. Bannon's whole stick is economic nationalism. Good making America great again, jobs first, rebuild our infrastructure, get the best trade deals, yada, 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 mm. pull out of t and stuff. That was Steve Bannon and Donald Trump before Stephen Bannon even went on this campaign. Anyway, Steve Bannon leaves and it's exactly the same. It's been seamless. Mm. Trump is just completely breathless. He goes from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. This, The responses from, from Brussels this week uh, saying, well, w- we've got our own means of deal, you know, coming back to you – Trump didn't even, he hadn't even had time to respond to them. On Thursday, he has the NATO Secretary General in, Jens Stoltenberg. And I know you've, you've already said that, well, that's a big beef for Trump and, you know, they're not paying, why are we paying the largest share? Well, Stoltenberg was over there to to announce that every single every single member has increased their spending. So it's breathless. There are Things are happening and it's because of him. But no sooner had that, Sultenberg was then pushed out the door and next thing there's huge, it's still going on, I think it was still going on yesterday, mega trade talks between the US and China. Right. It's completely breathless. It's all in the same week. Yeah. The deficit from the US to Europe is roughly 150 billion. It's more than twice that with respect to China. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently there's been some progress for the US. He's on the verge of convincing the Chinese to import more from the US. Even though the Chinese have, just a few weeks ago, already issued counter Sanctions. I knew it's just sanctions. It's counter tariffs to Trump's tariffs on on, on steel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's all one seamless, open negotiation with everyone. Right. And that's why it can get like totally confusing. Am I talking about tariffs now or sanctions? Well, what part of the world are we in? We're in all of it. It's all right. it's all being discussed at once.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's all being changed. I mean, it's all it's all it's all to do. I mean, you can blame it on Donald Trump, and people obviously blame it on Donald Trump. It all went wrong under Donald Trump. But there's another aspect to this is that, is, that, is it not, was, it, was the time not ripe for this to happen anyway in that respect? You know, was, was, this, was this not always going to happen? Was the American uh, kind of global um, patrimony, let's say, um, if you want to put a positive spin on it, was it always not going to come to an end at some point uh, as other countries in the world come of age, let's say, economically and through technology, etc.? I mean, the world is going to have to change. You know, it's been it's been a a, a world dominated by the US for a very relatively well very short period of time. Let's say you go back to go back at the furthest. Let's say to the First World War. Let's say so so maybe a hundred years. Um, and in that hundred years, if you think about it, from say 1914 or 1918 until 2018, uh, the world has changed dramatically. You know, uh, during most of the 20th century it was possible for a high-tech US with its fingers in you know pies all around the world to dominate and control and strong arm and browbeat everybody around the world and to, to rule supreme type thing. But as technology caught up around uh, the, in other countries around the world it was inevitably, inevitably going to going to change the whole structure of, of, of that kind of like America being the, the strongest <clears throat> and the most powerful was obviously going to change, and I mean, we've seen that with Russia, we've seen it with China, uh, even from a military perspective, uh, that totally changes the game, you know, because if America was able to rule the world based on military might for most of the 20th century, well then the latter, in, in the ver- at the very end of the 20th century, and at the beginning of it, really right now, at the beginning of the 21st century, in the, in the first 20 years of the 20th, 20th, 21st century, um, the progress of the change in the military prowess all the major powers in the world have, has changed dramatically that obviously has implications for america ruling the world via unchallenged military might why because their military might isn't unchallenged anymore therefore their ability to rule the world is not uh, as, as significant as it was before and that then has knock-on effects for well how, what's America's new place in the world then? Is it going to have to take a step down? Is it when, when other countries like China and Russia can push back militarily, push America out of regions militarily, does that not have implications for America's economic policy?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, obviously it does, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, you know, logically it does. Therefore, this isn't about Donald Trump coming in with his crazy nutbag, make America great again uh economic policies type of thing or or american isolationism it's not that it's simply that it was a time the time was ripe in terms of the overall progress of the globe like i said the dramatic radical uh night and day change that has happened in the globe from uh, in in the world order and the way the world works between 1918 and 2018 you may as well be living on a freaking different planet yeah. So, of course, it's going to have implications for the power structure on the planet as well. When that power structure was was based on, like I said, one country, America, having all the goodies, all the military might, all the technology, and being able to force other countries to bow down before it.
0: But I think I, think I know your answer to this, but let's just get this out of the way. Is it – instead of make America great again, is it make America stay on top forever?
1: I don't want to ascribe too much –
0: because that would put him in, in the camp of an
1: ideologue, well, like I, the rest. Well, I don't. Want, well, and an ideologue that, not. I mean, the, the, when I talk about ideologue, I mean you can be an e, you can have an economic ideology, which is that I want to get as much money as possible. Right. That's an, But then there are other ideologies that are much more abstract and and don't take much much uh, consideration of of facts and details and economic realities and stuff. Where it's like your first uh, first go to place is we America were preordained by God to rule the world one way or another. Come hell or high water, it doesn't matter what happens in the world, we will always be on top. That's a nutbag ideology. That does not take any consideration of the fact that, like I just said, the world has changed dramatically in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you try, continue to try to try to impose that kind of abstract, kind of divinely ordained uh, ideology or, or ideology that is America is divinely ordained to rule the world and ignore all of the facts of, of the details of how the world has changed well then you're going to be you're going <laughs> to you're going to look like a crazy person basically because you're increasingly going to ignore or refute or not take stock of hard fact factual kind of changes and reality in the world so but I don't want to I wouldn't want to ascribe too much um kind of insight or, uh, to, to Trump our are, are kind of um, awareness to him but <clears throat> it's possible that he you know that he has you know that he is aware of of, of all of that of, of the changing nature of the world basically mm-hmm. uh, I don't, what I mean is I don't want to God forbid God forbid that I would say that he's a realist because that's exactly what everybody says he's not right he's an illusional orange headed monster you know who rambles on Twitter and can't even spell his wife's name properly type thing, you know. So uh, how can I say that he's a real pragmatist and a real realist with actual foresight into what's really going on in the world far more than the deep state ideologues. <clears throat> he, <clears throat> he's grounded or bas- he has his head based in, in reality and he can see uh, where the world's going and he's trying to take action or change American policy that would keep it that would do the best for America in a changing world basically, in a changing world as in um, where where he's willing and and attempting to accept that the world is changing and there's nothing he can do about it that there are serious significant changes happening in the power structure across the world and that America has to fight hard and fight smart to to retain as much of its influence and power as it possibly can but he's not about to kind of like decide that because the world is changing and other countries are rising up that's very bad we must destroy them that's he's not that, that, and that's what I mean when I talk about ideology not bad ideology where it's like we're we have to rule supreme forever and anybody that challenges us we have to destroy them so it's possible that he's smart enough to, to know that I don't know but I don't want to go as far as to actually say that. Sure. I have
0: a quote here I want to read out. This is from George Kennan. George Kennan was U.S. Secretary of State at the end of the Second World War. He's also the author, pretty much along with the other wise men of foreign policy at the time, we came up with the policy of containment, ostensibly to keep back communism in a bit more pragmatic terms, to keep back China and Russia. Okay. He said, we have about 50%, we, the United States, have about 50% of the world's wealth, but only 6.3% of its population. This disparity is particularly great as between ourselves and the people of Asia. In this situation, we cannot fail to be the object of envy and resentment. Our real task in the coming period is to devise a pattern of relationships, which will permit us to maintain this position of disparity without positive detriment to our national security. To do so, we will have to dispense with all sentimentality and daydreaming, and our attention will have to be concentrated everywhere on our immediate national objectives. We need not deceive, deceive ourselves that we can afford today the luxury of altruism and world benefaction.
1: Right.
0: That has so much ideology <clears throat> in it, like you could choke on it. Now, he, he's kidding himself with the last sentence, you know, we shouldn't fool ourselves that... Uh, I does say he's he's saying we should not fool ourselves that we can afford uh, to be, you know, altruistic and nice about it. But that is precisely the narrative, of course, which they use: humanitarian intervention is mm. to save the world. All the world's poor children, we're going to save them, right? But I think that the key phrase in there is one where he refers to cost. Um, he doesn't mention cost, but it popped in my head when he said it. Our task in the coming period, so that's the last 70 years Merkel referred to in her speech when she was in D.C., our task in this period is to devise a pattern of relationships which will permit us to maintain basically our hegemony, what Mm. we've won after the Mm. Second World War. And I think it's that that kind of – that's the difference, I suppose. The pattern of relationships, it's global, who is trading with who, who is allowed to develop at what scale? Hmm. Um that's control. Total control. It's, 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 it's uh, assumed hegemony. Hmm. And Trump looks at the same global pattern, the structure as it currently is, but he's looking at it like, well, you're telling me that we need to maintain, we need to set the situation up to let Iran get off its feet and that's going to help us how?
1: Hmm.
0: And... An ideologue will say to him, well, sir, you see, there are these. we have devised this pattern of relationships and we foresee it going this way and this way and this way. And if not, well, we have means to deal with it at the time. Mm-hmm. But Trump's like, no, but hang on a second. Explain to me now the net, benef- the net benefit of this. How much are we going to pay and then what do we get back? What's the return on our investment? Mm-hmm. And he's probably explained to him, well, nil, sir, mm-hmm. at least for now.
1: Except we get to contain Iran. It'll cost us, but we get to contain him. And therefore, we maintain our own, our position as global hegemon. Basically, you know, if you want to maintain yourself as a global hegemon, it's going to cost you, yeah, a lot of money. Because you, I mean, right, right down to to bribes, bribe, bribing officials, then economic aid to countries that to keep them on side, to basically make them beholden to you by throwing money at their economies, by by um, you know, by investing in their in their countries, so you have a cultural um, footprint in the country a big part of, that's a big part of of, of empire is cultural uh, imperialism effectively spreading your culture that people look to uh the spread of american ideas or that or the idea of the west as as the best basically which has spread all around the world you know we have yeah people in china basically whitening their skin and uh, straight and people in africa straightening their hair hair and, and whitening their skin and and reading uh, novels from the West and all that mm. kind of stuff, you know, and ignoring their own culture and their own literature. I mean, there's been, uh, that's, that's, that's what's happened, you know, and, and that's very important to, that's as big, as big a, a, a a component of, of maintaining hegemony as economic control or economic influence, you know. But ultimately, it, it's, it's, um, it goes on the negative in terms of economics. Like I'm saying, you end up paying for that, you know, to, to, to have that cultural footprint, and culture hold, and spread your culture around the world, you have to pay for it, you have to put a load of money into it, you know, and and Trump just isn't, Trump wasn't brought up, um, he is not, in, like we say, he's not in a Washington insider, so he's not, he hasn't been steeped or, or brought up uh, in this uh, soup, this ideological soup, you know, and you could say to a large extent the Americans, the, those um, kind of American exceptionalists, let's say, are the American, uh, the ideologues, you know, the, the Washington insiders who have been brought up in the politi- amongst the political class have been brought up with this idea that uh, obviously that America uh, rules the world and should rule the world and has a manifest destiny to rule the world and it's the best, greatest country that ever existed and it should bestow its benevolence on everybody forever and everybody's effectively lesser than Americans, you know, Westerners um, but during the Cold War that actually made sense because, an ideology made sense because it was, it could Easily be understood and construed as an ide- ideological battle between between two economic um, systems, and not just an economic systems, but cultural systems and um, kind of views of life. Let's say communism versus capitalism, or mm-hmm. um, so the idea that the the, the the idea that it was driven by ideology was was true, but unfortunately, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, and there is no uh, red menace. Threatening to overtake the world anymore with its uh, with its radical kind of lefty <laughs> lefty vision of, of a uh, yeah of of equality for for all and uh, you know quality of outcome for all etc. So that doesn't really exist anymore. It's, interestingly enough, it's, it's risen up in the US among, amongst the left. But anyway, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so and Trump wasn't steeped in that. Uh, he wasn't part. He wasn't part of the political class growing up or anything. So he doesn't have that. The people who are part of the political class, and a lot of them are quite old. if you look at the Senate and Congress you know they've been around for a long time and they they're, that's that's in their heads basically the idea of this is an ideological war and that america's mandate uh, for ruling the world is fundamentally ideological from a trump perspective he's like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> I wasn't part of that game, so i don 't know what you mean i I'm, I'm, I'm a businessman and uh, i'm running America like a business. I look at Ameri- the American economy like uh, like my like a business like it's it's just like another business. To me and, and here's all the problems i see with it and i want to of course he's going to leverage the influence that america has around the world that america has obtained through spreading its through its imperial kind of uh, expansion around the world over the past 70 or 80 years he's going to leverage those benefits the fact that you have influence over these countries and the cultural influence have, the fact you have military bases all around the world and the fact that you've got all these aircraft carriers to kind of threaten people he's not He's not a kind of, He's not a pacifist, and that's correct. He's going to use mm. all the tools that come with when he inherited America, the, the, the company, America, the business. He's going to use all of the tools that that company has, but he's not doing it like I keep saying. He's not doing it from the perspective of we should do this just because America, just because America. You know, it's more like he's looking at the bottom line. He's basically looking at a financial spreadsheet. Okay and that's that makes a lot of difference you know um you don't he's not going to be you know i mean he'll even talk the talk you know in a certain sense you know but if you look at what his motivation is he talked the humanitarian intervention talk you know a little bit certainly not as much as obama or people or bush previously Mm -hmm. um he talked about the iranian people needing freedom and all that kind of stuff blah blah. Mm -hmm. blah. but uh, he's only saying it as, as as a means to to the economic end ultimately you know Whereas these people, the people that came before him, obviously they were interested in, you know, filling their own, filling their own coffers, you know, coffers lining their own pockets as well, but they were fundamentally driven by this nutbag ideology of uh, America is the greatest country in the world, and everybody should know that. You know, it's like yeah,
0: the it's, thing it's, is, it's, there are a lot, a lot of people believe that. This is something that we touched on earlier this week, where one of the one of the effects this is having. It's really curious because, um, for, for example, the US and Europe, allies, partners, friends, whatever, for 70 years, um, only for the last, say, 15 of those, has there been a kind of um, anti American, or let's say a, a very critical view of the US, particularly since the war on terror, what it did in Iraq, Libya, which Europeans also joined in on, but at least among, like, ordinary people there's a larger and larger segment who are heavily critical of the United States. You would think that then the time is ripe for acceptance that, okay, the US doesn't want to have to be, you know, a parent for us anymore. But it's that very parent-child relationship that's producing another interesting reaction, which is that people are pissed at Trump Mm-hmm. But, but he, hes just kind of the lightning rod for it. Right. Pissed at the United States for abandoning us. Right. It's a weird, it's an incestuous parent-child thing mm-hmm. where um, they know it's time to grow up and get out of the house. Mm-hmm. They're already forty years old, mm-hmm. seventy, let's say, if we look at this mm-hmm. since World War II. It's time to leave. Right. And yet, what was the, what were the very first reactions when Trump came on the scene? It was like shock and horror, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 've made at least nominal promises or apparently actual increases in defense spending to keep the u s happy to keep mm. it on board but that that 's already a losing that 's not going to change anything mm. no. Trump is deadly serious about you know kicking them out of the house mm-hmm. yeah and, and,
1: and i mean that, that that can actually end up in in exacerbating the the split you know we 're not friends anymore basically between the, between the u s and, and and the eu basically in Europe in particular. I mean, there's no love lost between Russia and China and America. They don't see themselves as partners, or never did. But certainly, the EU—the reason we're talking about the EU—is because, like I have said, the EU is, has been joined at the hip basically since uh, uh, with the US, you know, economically and ideologically and culturally uh, since America came online, let's say, uh, in the first half of the of the 20th century. Um, and for the U, for the US to to like you're saying kick kick them out basically kick the EU out of the house type of thing and say listen we're not you're, you're, you know, you're not a kid anymore uh, and of course Merkel more or less said that we have to you know, chart our own destiny America's not going to protect us anymore that can engender behind the scenes a kind of resentment you know there's, there's a lot of love lost there let's say uh, on
0: both sides because of course the deep staters in the US they don't want to like lose Europe to Russia right? Right. They're going oh. to kick back as well
1: Yeah, well, they're going to try to, but I mean, the thing is, once you kick the kids out of the house in that way, they're not happy with you. There's a lot of resentment. It takes a long time for them to kind of grow up and kind of like, you know, see, you know, until they can establish themselves on their own type of thing and become independent and become adult. They're going to, there's going to be that resentment of, you know, basically like they they were abandoned, basically, you know what I mean? Um, And it's not fair, you know, because you set up a system where you were protecting us all these years and then suddenly you say you're not. It's a bit of a shock, you know? It, it kind of feels like you don't like me anymore like you don't love me anymore, you know where's my daddy you know and uh and that's just going to play into the the dividing uh the parting of the ways basically you know, and ultimately, who knows i mean that, like we keep saying it's it's like that that uh, German politician said it's it's pushing us us the europeans into the arms of the of the Russians and the Chinese, and she said it was some kind of well, it was some apparent re- regret or mm-hmm. Uh, was it, Terror. Like it was a like it was a a problem, but something that they would have to do and that would be a good thing because I think they would realize that there's nothing wrong with being you know sid- sidling up to or or hooking up with uh, with the Russians and the Chinese, especially you know, for Europeans because I mean like we keep saying they're on the same landmass and uh, there's this whole Chinese one belt one road Eurasian integration initiative in the background <clears throat> that would make mass makes massive economic sense for everybody um so it's 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 overall it's good. Because if you break, by breaking that ideological grip that Europe or that America had on Europe or Europe had with America, I mean, you're just going to further a natural, the natural process, the natural order that is right there waiting to <clears throat> to manifest itself of more integrated Eurasian landmass, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. And I don't know why, I, that's why we say, we, I don't know why if Trump, Trump is doing it consciously. It's just, he's just a, he's just a, he just happened to come along he came along at, at the right time at a, at a time in history because there's a historical process mm-hmm. happening here and there's a technological process there's an evolutionary process uh, occurring that is far greater than anybody mm-hmm. and people just come along and play the part that is appropriate for that time that they find themselves in and trump is appropriate for the time uh for that stage in the economic or in the historical or economic whatever uh, process that is uh, is ongoing mm-hmm. he's appropriate for this time because like we said it's appropriate that Russia and China become uh, take take their take their place on the world stage, and and that Eurasia should become more integrated. It's all natural and appropriate. And for Trump to come in and for whatever own, whatever personal reasons he has for doing it, he's doing something that is natural, that that is in sync with a natural, a much broader, grand uh, natural uh, process that's happening. You know, so it's all good. But of course. It's, it's it's incredible. I mean,
0: the Iranian foreign ministers in Brussels this week, Zarif, I think he's still there now.
1: Yeah.
0: Do people understand how weird this is that he's there on the stage with EU leaders and they're the adults in the room calmly talking about we're keeping the deal and uh, yes, the U.S. can mm. not take a hike but it's, it's very unfortunate, you know, it really shouldn't have happened, yada, yada don't underestimate the, the moral element to all this as well, where they get to just share the stage, the Iranians, which the US is telling its population are like evil incarnate. Mm. You know, the the, the the source of all terrorism. Mm. Heck they did nine eleven, right? Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: And in sheer contrast, the Iranians and their delegations are in Brussels from the cameras, right? Business partners, yada yada. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's potentially world changing. I mean I'm I'm still I'm still I'm kind of I'm still uh I'm still feeling a bit of a flux myself because yeah, but it is while that is incredible and it's portentous for massive change, at the same time it's like it it's just it looks like it's gonna be calamitous because right. I can see the Europeans the, here's here's my problem. There isn't a European it doesn't seem to be a European strength to cope with with this. Um, Italy is probably going to form a coalition government between extreme left and extreme right, a populist coalition in quotes, Mm -hmm. anti-EU up the wazoo, right? And that's going to come in. Now, they've toned down, apparently they've toned down their pro-Russia stance and all this stuff to get some kind of exceptions. But I suppose what I'm getting at is that the political instability Within Western Europe, and then um, in the structure that is available to it as a group, the mm. European Union, mm. it it um, it doesn't seem strong enough to 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 be able to stay mm. together
1: to, to, be, to,
0: to, to be able to get through that stage into the new future that Merkel talked about.
1: Mm. Well, maybe they have to learn, you know, yeah, and, and kind of learn the hard way, you know. Because if, like we're saying, if Trump is serious about ditching them, then they gotta kind of uh, pull their socks up and, and, and get some kind of a get some kind of a plan together, you know, uh, to 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 look after their own interests, like they said, to to, to safeguard their own financial interests and to operate in the world uh, largely independently, and that obviously would tend to encourage European economic cohesion. But then at the same time, you know,
0: Brexit,
1: Brexit, populism, immigration, you know, uh, atrocious popularity ratings, um, terror attacks, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an ideal, an an ideal time for that. Yes, So it it would all suggest some seriously uh, um, turbulent, turbulent times ahead, you know. I don't uh, know. Okay. Um. An artist oh somebody just posted uh, there's a chat going on An artist asked uh, how do we see the Northern Ireland Ireland border working out with Brexit EU <laughs> um, Nothing's going to happen there really um, we're still waiting on Brexit to happen and I still don't think it's going to happen in any real way in any significant way it, it can't happen you know Um this is assuming that they don't have some major economic crises or collapse or something like that where it's all irrelevant anyway. Um, but if things continue on as they are, I mean, they're not, the the, the, the Brits can't leave the EU. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like, I don't know, it's like, I don't know what a good analogy is, but it's like someone living in a, in a small community, you know, in a suburb of maybe 20 houses. And uh, they say that they're going to leave um, and move. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. and they just keep living there, uh, and they keep talking to their neighbors, keep doing what they always did, but they say, by the way, we don't live here anymore, you know. They put it a different, a different, a, a different address on their house, yeah, uh, and
0: rename their portion of the street.
1: Yeah, the, their section of the street is renamed, but they still um, live on that street. Still live on that street. Still talk to their neighbors. Still, they still get their trash collected by the same people, like like, like everybody else around them. It's this ridiculous situation, you know, and. Um, on the Ireland thing, the the Northern Ireland thing is, is a big, obviously a big um, <clears throat> uh, fly in the ointment there, and it's it's one of the it's not all of it, but it's one of the aspects that just make it very clear that it's it was ridiculous contention in the first place. Uh, it just adds that extra juicy bit of kind of torment to the to the Conservatives to the Tories' uh, uh, predicament that they find themselves in. You know, I mean they can't leave, they can't they can't leave the EU because they're so economically intertwined with the EU that it's ridiculous to even suggest it. Uh, But even then, if they did leave the EU, if they did find some way to kind of cut themselves off and and take the pain, uh, they can't because uh, they would be taking a part of Ireland with them who don't want to leave the EU. And, and to that to, to a similar extent uh, Scotland who doesn't want to leave the EU they'd be trying to take them with them you know so it threatens the actual dissolution brexit threatens the potent, uh, threatens the dissolution of the United Kingdom um so it's just it's just a it's a complete farce that whole thing and I just every time I see an article about it I just laugh because it's the same stuff uh, yep no progress on brexit yet you know. Five years down the line well we're still waiting on some progress on the brexit thing if you remember that from uh, eight years ago that was when britain decided to leave the eu but uh haven't quite managed it yet talks are still ongoing somewhere in the bowels of some building in brussels there's two people talking about brexit um apparently it's ireland's fault yeah, it's all Ireland's fault. Always was. It's, it's always
0: has been. It's been a pain in the backside.
1: It's 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 the revenge, the delayed. Bit late the revenge of the Irish against the British, but I think the, the better late than never
0: British elite the establishment let's say in the UK is it's it's undergoing the same kind of freak out as happening in the US, where this new reality, multipolarity mm. it's just freaking out. I mean on the one hand it kind of gets it theoretically in in the sense of intelligently understands. And so under Cameron's last government, they sent a huge delegation to China and big deals, big announcement that um, the future trading relationships between China and Britain would be glorious. It would be a new golden era for the United Kingdom. Everyone sees gold when they go to China these days. Uh, That happens to us all. But um, at the same time, we don't want to be in the EU. Oh, but... we want our forces in Poland to keep back the Russian bear. Oh, by the way, we're now leaving the EU, and we're building an alliance against Russia.
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, makes complete it,
0: sense. It's, they're trying to get a half of one thing and the half of the other out of the wrong things. It's 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 messy, and I think it's 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 the kind of it's the same problem affecting everyone else. Things are in flux, well,
1: they and they, they, they want to
0: have as many, you know. Um, irons in the fire as possible, right? But some of those irons are, are they're duds, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, they're and they're using them at the wrong time for the wrong situation, yeah. and um, the EU has it definitely has the UK um, by, by the nuts by the when government. it comes to the border issue.
1: Not just the border issue, but the Europe issue and trade issues. Yeah, I mean they're screwed, like basically. I mean, you know, Calais is what what is it, twenty two miles from Dover. Yeah. <laughs> across a little stretch mm-hmm. of sea, you know, it's ridiculous, um, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of the birth of a, it's the birth of a new world order, didn't George, w., hey, Herbert Walker Bush talk about that, way back in the 90s, a new world order, um, a new world order is happening, and it's not surprising, anybody who kind of was, is taking a broad view of history, and looking at the history of, uh, of the world, and in, in the modern era, and you can go back a few hundred years if you want, you know, but it's really all happened in the last hundred years. And, like, I keep, I keep stressing is, that, is the, the change in technology and the development of technology from tech, just tech that has changed people's lives to the way businesses works, to the way the economy works, to the way the world works, to the way you live, and also the mil- military uh, military power. Uh, tech, technology has revolutionized the world, basically, in the past 100 years, or even in the past 50 years, or even less. It's in the blink of an eye, basically. And previous to that, the world as far back as recorded history goes the world pretty much uh, wasn't very different than it had always been you know people lived uh, very typical similar lives for hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years and then in a a very very short period of time less than half a century their lives were radically changed and the whole world was radically radically changed by by technology so that implicates obviously uh, a change in that centuries old kind of way of doing things or the structures you know the great powers Having the odd kind of war and kind of that kind of thing, um, and <clears throat> it's just that just doesn't apply anymore, you know. And because Facebook was born, because Facebook did it. Well, Facebook's part of it as well, but and it's not all positive as a thing, you know. Obviously, technology has a has a dark side as well, but um, it's a it's a changing. There's some radical changes uh, are are happening and have to happen in the world, and it obviously those kind of big changes and uh, imp- you know imply or almost require. Uh, a large amount of turmoil and, and people freaking out and not people not happy with the change people resisting strongly resisting the change not wanting the world to change uh but it's it's going there anyway with them or without them you know so you either get with it or, or you or, or you get kind of wiped out basically um but they'll do their best some of them will do their best to uh, to stop to try and stop the change or to at least if the change has to happen it has to happen and more or less retain the existing power structures, you know, in exactly the same way uh, as it was before, you know. But that that's not a that's not not something you can demand either, you know. Uh, again, because of primary well, military technology and stuff is, is, is a big aspect to it. Like, I mean, not to overstate the point, but I mean the fact that Russia could do what it did in Syria. I mean, that's a first really in modern history and in our experience of history and the way we've looked at the last hundred years uh, and the West ruling uh, that's kind of the first time that in in that era that um another major power was able to uh, let's say in the past 50 years was able to go in and and uh, checkmate effectively checkmate or stop the u.s doing what it what it has always done and um, and that's all down to technology basically um so yeah um yeah, so I suppose we just have to wait and see on the, on the whole Iran business. We'll have to wait and see. It's still like we say in flux, and you're going to hear all sorts of statements coming out of, of different quarters. Uh, you don't should, shouldn't take any of them at face value without uh, kind of reading behind behind the headlines type of thing um, and thinking about uh, that. What we're talking, what we've been saying, thinking about that kind of process that's ongoing that has much more power than than any individual or any individual country, and um, there. Would you say at the very least, even if in the short term
0: things are squirrely as hell, the trend is towards what we call Eurasian integration? So in the specific example I have in mind, Europe and Iran and other powers in the Middle East, maybe with or without Russia, do trade more and become interlinked more infrastructure-wise – yeah. Berlin, the Berlin-Baghdad Railway will become a reality finally after 100 years, for example, Right. Um, and in other spheres culturally as well. Mm-hmm. It's going that way and even the things that try to stop it now may only serve as accelerants, not yeah. necessarily delay that Absolutely. process. Absolutely, yeah. That's That would be our bottom line. It's happening even if there's calamity and crises.
1: Right. In the short term, yeah, that's where it's going. Okay. There's a there's a new world kind of beckoning, yeah. and there's no stopping it. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> it's 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 going to happen. And um, I mean, even I mean the whole I mean you can allow Trump to kind of do his thing in Iran, you know, set the clock back, punish Iran harshly, squeeze it, you know, put it against the wall basically, and force it to uh, you know renegotiate in some way or other. So that America a better deal, so yes. America gets a better deal right. uh, America and Israel I suppose gets a better deal but um, I mean the kind of animosity that w- that would engender in the Iranians is just mad you know especially when over the past few years since the Iran deal and before that 12 years of negotiating the Iran deal that happened in 2013 to just throw all that away um, <clears throat> that because it were when it involved a kind of uh, an improvement of relationships you know Israel notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but certainly improve the relationships between uh, uh, Iran and much of the rest of the world. And, you know, Iran's no threat to anybody, basically, is the, is the bottom line. Uh, yeah. Israel's statements, again, notwithstanding, because uh, Israel is just talking. Uh, it's talking. It's got a narrative there of uh, Iran wants to wipe us out and state sponsor of terrorism, yada, yada. That's just calling people names because you don't like them for another reason. Mm-hmm. Right? You know when you don't like someone because they're doing something? You don't often sit down and specify exactly what your problem is with them you actually just try to demonize them, call them names, tell all their friends that they're a bad bad word type thing, a bad name. Um, That's basically what the Iran nukes, and Iran wants to wipe out Israel, and Iran's a state sponsor of terrorism, blah, blah, that's all that is, you know. There's obviously another reason uh, why all that's being said, and it's it's to do, like we said, with um, these people fearing. They're just afraid, you know, the people who have sat on top of the pile for so long are just, they're scaredy cats, really, of of a change a change. And a change in... Just kind of change, yeah. A change change the order. that they
0: might not necessarily <clears throat> lose much in. Right. I mean, if Trump's not the ideologue, uh, the, let's say he's <clears throat> not so concerned about losing America's number one in a hegemonic sense, but he is concerned about the bottom line. Right. So there's no reason the U.S. can't get yeah. plenty rich right. from all of
1: this. Right. Yeah, but they have, they've had a lot more than their fair share for the mm-hmm. past 70 or 80 years, and they've become accustomed to having that. And people who get accustomed to, to living really high on the hog, you know, tend to resist the idea of taking taking a few steps down, you know, even if it's still pretty still high on the hog, they, they don't want to do it because it's just, well, it's just selfishness and greed, right? <clears throat> so, um, but it seems that uh, feckless as he is, Trump is trying to find some way to to do that, you know, in all while also pandering to the state and having to allow people like john Bol- bolton to whisper in his ear and all that kind of stuff you know it's a real mess like you know and only a, a doofus like trump will actually be able to survive that kind of a situation you know without going bonkers you know without going mad Um. so yeah okay so i think we'll uh, leave it there for this week folks a little bit early but i think we covered the topic more or less just wanted to update you on what was going on on what we think is going on anyway of course it's all subject to revision and to uh, what may or may not happen down the line but we're going to find out over the next few months obviously as america attempts to impose really harsh i mean you have a look at if you if you look, if you have a look at them they're attempting to impose seriously punitive i mean it's pretty it's economic war yeah. It's vicious economic war on iran and like we said earlier on in the show it you know it could very easily involve the deaths of a large number of Iranian people through you know indirectly through lack of supplies lack of uh lack of food like of whatever you know um people just you know not having a home or you know becoming homeless or whatever there's all sorts of different knock on effects of those kind of sanctions if they persist for any length of time and uh, the only thing that possibly stands in the way of that happening right right now is like we've been saying is Europe and its potential response uh to to the, the, these sanctions these u.s sanctions which are also on europe by implication uh, or indirectly being imposed on europe so we're gonna have to wait and see uh, how that how that pans out but it's between now and august so a couple of months and then two or three months and then another two three months after that by the end of the year we'll know what way the wind is blowing basically and it may be blowing up a blowing up a storm by then Okay, so thanks for listening to the show, guys. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with another one. Um, Until then, have a good evening.
0: See you next week. Bye.